Well, friends, chameleons are fascinating creatures. Uh, They seem to be able to blend into any environment with ease. So I've got a couple of pictures of chameleons and uh, see if you can spot them. So can I get any nods just to see that we can see it? Yes, okay, good. So that one's not too bad. Um, This little fella, got him there, yes, appearing as a leaf. Okay, okay. Next one, same deal. Can you get him? All right, save my best for last. Can you find them in this one? Not so easy. Can you see the red? There's the head, tail, head, tail. Not bad, huh? Huh? Appearing as a leaf, not really a leaf, but appearing as a leaf. They are incredible, aren't they, Uh, chameleons? And look, friends, as impressive and, and as intriguing as chameleons are in the animal world, you wouldn't want to be a chameleon in the Christian world. Uh, So a a chameleon can appear as a leaf when it's actually not. You wouldn't want to appear to be a Christian when actually you're not. In our chapters today, Jesus goes head to head with the religious leaders of his day and his massive gripe with them is that they look like God's people when actually they're not. And they can fool others. People can think highly of them, but God sees straight through them and he hates their pretense He hates their looking the goods, but actually not being interested in him at all. And we would not want to make the same mistake. We don't want to be Christian chameleons. We'll come back to this a little bit later. For Jesus, though, this all goes down when he finally arrives in Jerusalem to die. Uh, Five times since chapter 16, Jesus has predicted his death. In chapter 20, verse 17, he specifically tells his disciples that they are on their way into Jerusalem and when they get there, Jesus will be betrayed, condemned, crucified and then three days later, he'll rise from the dead. And so as readers of Matthew's gospel, we're holding our breath. We are waiting for Jesus to arrive in Jerusalem and chapter 21 opens with Jesus right on the outskirts. So chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. So just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, he decides he's going to make something of an entrance. He's not just going to walk in, he's going to ride in on a donkey. And it's all very deliberate, because Jesus knows that he is the king, he is the Christ, and God promised back in the Old Testament that Israel's king would enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so that's exactly what Jesus does. Look at there in verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew wants us to be absolutely crystal clear that Jesus is the Christ. He is coming to Jerusalem as the king of Israel. But what becomes very clear is that Israel is completely unprepared for their king. They're not ready at all. They might have had all the trappings of being religious. The Israelites of Jesus' day, they had all the signs of being the genuine people of God, but in reality, it was all just show. They were like chameleons. They looked like they loved God, but they didn't. And this becomes clear right from the moment that Jesus entered Jerusalem. 
As soon as he gets through the gates, Jesus then made a beeline for the temple. Now, if anything made the Israelites look like they were the people of God, it was the temple. You know, it was the God-ordained place where he would meet with the Israelites. But a closer look at what was happening in the temple showed Israel's heart, and they were, in fact, a long way from God. Chapter 21, verse 12. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So Israel had God's temple and it was in use, lots of activity going on. On the outside, might have looked the goods, but as Jesus said, they had turned the temple into a den of robbers. Uh, Jesus is quoting the prophet Jeremiah, the bit of uh, Jeremiah that Paul read for us a little bit earlier when he describes it as a den of robbers. In Jeremiah's day, the people of Israel thought that as long as they had the temple, you know, and as long as they offered all the sacrifices, then they could just go and do whatever they wanted, live however they pleased. So long as they looked the part, got the temple, got the sacrifices, they didn't actually have to honour God. That's what they were thinking. And for this, God judged Israel. And Jesus is saying that the Israel of his day is making the same mistake. Sure, they had the temple and they appeared to be doing all the right things, but they were chameleons. They only looked the part when actually they weren't. Their hearts were far from God and Jesus hated it, overthrowing their tables and their benches and driving them out of the temple. Jesus has a gutful. He leaves the city, spends the night in Bethany. The next day, returns to Jerusalem. He goes right back into the temple courts. He starts teaching the people. The religious leaders then come up to him because they want to know, who does Jesus think he is? Who is he that he can go around turfing people out and setting himself up as the teacher of the people? But Jesus won't take it sitting down. And so he goes on the front foot with them. And he gives them three parables And each parable told the leaders that they have no place in God's kingdom. They've been rejected by God. We don't have time to look at them all. We're just going to look at the first one, where Jesus directly rebukes the leaders for looking the part of being the people of God, but in actual fact, they don't love him at all. And for this, they will be shut out of God's kingdom. Pick it up now in verse 28. Jesus is speaking to the chief priests. Talking to the chief priests, the elders of the people. He's got the very top of Israel's leaders in mind. And this is what he says, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Okay, you got it? Two sons being asked by dad, told by dad to go and work in the vineyard. The first one says he won't, but then he does. And the second one says he will, but then he doesn't. Okay, verse 31, Jesus then asked the leaders, verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Obviously, isn't it? You know, the first son, he might have said he wouldn't go, but in the end he did. Whereas the second son sounded the goods when he said he would go, but, he, but he's the one that actually ended up being the rebellious one. And this brings Jesus to his very pointed conclusion, 
where he says that the tax collectors and the prostitutes of his day are like the first son. They're the ones who initially rebelled against God, but they've repented and they've come into the kingdom of God, whereas the religious leaders are like the second son. They say they'll obey God, but in the end they don't. They're chameleons. They sound like God's people. They look like God's people, but in the end they're not. Halfway through verse 31, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus' next parable is even more cutting. We don't have time to look at it here. Come with me, though, to verse 43, where we get to Jesus' conclusion. Again, he's talking to the chief priests and the elders of Israel, and after telling them another parable, here's the conclusion, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but the one on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus is saying that religious leaders, they're going to be crushed. They'll be rejected. They're going to be left out of God's people. The kingdom of God will be taken away from them and given to others. And the religious leaders knew that this was exactly what Jesus was saying. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. See, the religious leaders of Israel in Jesus' day, they're chameleons. They said the right things. They did the right things. But here they are trying to arrest God's king. Their hearts are far from God. And so Jesus told it to them straight. God's going to get rid of them out of his kingdom. Now, as you can imagine, Jesus is really pushing their buttons. They are not happy about this at all. And so not surprisingly, the leaders themselves fire up and they react to Jesus' teaching by going on the attack themselves. They try and take him down. They hunt in packs to try and get Jesus to say something that would warrant his arrest. Look at it there, chapter 22, verse 15. Chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now the Pharisees and the Herodians teaming up, uh, that's an interesting combination because the Pharisees and the Herodians, they hated one another. But they are so desperate to knock Jesus off that they're willing to team up in order to try and get rid of him. And what we get for the rest of the chapter is their devious attempts to try and trap Jesus in his words. And so they ask him all kinds of clever questions about paying taxes and marriage and which is the greatest commandment. But they're not really interested in the answers. As we saw in verse 15, they're just trying to trap him in his words. They're trying to get him to tie the noose around his own neck so they can string him up and get rid of him, hopefully have him killed. But it all fell flat at this time. Uh, Jesus was up to their every move. And so the chapter ends with these words in verse 46. Chapter 22, verse 46. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And so after being drilled by the religious leaders and seeing off their every attack, Jesus now goes back on the front foot himself. So try and picture it. 
He is in front of everyone there in the temple courts. He's calling out to the crowds and Jesus begins to call down condemnations on the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's a really gutsy move. These guys are among the religious heavyweights and on their home turf, right in the temple courts, Jesus just squares up and rains his judgments down on them. In chapter 23, Jesus doesn't hold back. And at the heart of his condemnations is what we've been seeing all the way through. Jesus hated that these religious leaders were chameleons. They appeared to be righteous. They looked like the real deal in being the people of God, but they weren't. They were fakes, frauds, hypocrites. And so Jesus let loose on them. And as we read chapter 23, we want to make sure that we don't make the same mistake. We don't have time to look at all of what Jesus says here. Let's pick it up in chapter 23, verse 5. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and the crowds in the temple courts. He's warning them against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And he says this in verse 5. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. See, the religious leaders, they were all about show. It was being seen to look good by others. Phylacteries and tassels, they were items used uh, by the Israelites to help them to remember God's law. They were things they put on their clothes. And so the Pharisees made their items big so that everyone could see them. It was all about looking good. It was all about being seen to be religious. And so they had their big religious items on their clothing. Then they occupied the important seats in their religious meetings. Their, their hearts were filled with a desire to be seen, to be recognised, to be acknowledged. It wasn't about honouring God. It was about being honoured themselves. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they weren't interested in God at all. Jesus returns to condemning them for their hypocrisy down in verse 25. Verse 25. Chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So they had all kinds of religious regulations about having to have clean crockery, They were nitpicky about, you know, cleaning their cups and their dishes. Uh, Earlier in Matthew, we saw they were nitpicky about washing their hands. They look good on the outside. They've got religiously clean cups and dishes along with everything else. But on the inside, in their hearts, filled with greed and self-indulgence, lies revolving around themselves. In their hearts, God didn't get a look in. Because they were so filled with themselves. They were appearing as one thing, that their lives were all about God. But in reality, they were another. Their lives were all about themselves. And God hates that. Woe to them, Jesus says. He just keeps going. Verse 27. Verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Again and again, Jesus just tears the religious leaders to shreds for looking the part, but not being the part. They're chameleons, and God hates it. They look religious. They appear to be God-honoring. They've got all the trappings of righteous living and they love for others to think of them as the people who really love God, but in their hearts they're filled with wickedness, self-indulgence, greed, ego. As Jesus says over and over, they're hypocrites. Woe to them, Jesus says. And so, friends, we can't read these words without honestly looking at ourselves in the mirror. Is there any chance that this could be true of you? That you look like one of God's people, but actually you're not. Are you a Christian chameleon? And don't worm your way around the question by thinking about the other people in this room. Oh, this would be really good for so-and-so to hear. No, no, I'm asking you, please, look in the mirror and ask yourself, is there any chance this could be true of you? Because you might be the only person in the world who could tell if it's true of you. Because we wouldn't be able to tell. Because you look the part to us. So you might come to church. Well, you're here today, bravo. You put money in the bags in the collection. You might take notes during the Bible talk. You might serve on morning tea. You might stay late over morning tea. You don't just rush out, you know, and head home as soon as the last song's finished. You might help clean the building. You might be in a growth group. You contribute to the Bible study discussion. You offer up prayer points. You pray out loud for others. There's any number of things that you can do to look the part among us. But is it all just show? Is it all so that we'd think you're a Christian? Is it all so that in our eyes we think of you as a genuine believer in Christ? Is it all done for us to see? But on the inside, in your heart, you're not warm towards God at all. Now, how would you tell? Because motives can be such a hard thing, can't they, to see clearly. But in terms of what Jesus is talking about here, I think there is something of a litmus test that we can apply to ourselves. Because Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it's centred around them wanting to look good before others. And so the types of questions that we could honestly ask ourselves is what am I like when others aren't around? What do I do, what do I say when I'm on my own? What am I like when it's just me and my family at home? How do I treat my wife, my husband, my mum, my dad, my kids, my housemates? Who am I when I'm at work? And no one from church is there. Ask yourself honestly, are you a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde? One thing when you're with us, but another when you're not. Because the Lord Jesus, 
He hates this kind of thing. He sees right through it. He will not tolerate it. You'll be refused entry into the kingdom of God. You might fool us, but you can't fool God. He knows your heart. Friends, if this is you, honestly, if you're putting on a show, that's bad. It's awful. But I've got good news for you. I've got great news for you. Immediately after spending 36 verses calling down his condemnations on the religious leaders, in verse 37 we discover that far from being vengeful or spiteful towards them, it breaks Jesus' heart that they'd be like this. Jesus longs for them to repent, to genuinely turn to God. Look at Jesus' heart there in verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, chicks have been found alive under their dead mother because the hen covered them under her body in the midst of a bushfire. You know, a hen is very protective, very loving towards her chicks. That's Jesus and the people of Jerusalem. In less than a week after saying this, Jesus would stretch out his arms to be nailed to a cross. He died to save people from their sins. He longed to save them and to gather them to himself, but Israel was unwilling. And so they'll be destroyed. We'll see more of that next week. But here and now we see that it broke Jesus' heart. He would have loved for them to turn to him truly from their heart. And so if you're just putting on a show for us, but in your heart you remain far from God, what Christ himself wants is for you to stop being a hypocrite, to stop being a chameleon. You'd stop being religious and living the Christian life so that we would think well of you. The Lord wants you to stop playing charades and he longs for you to turn to him genuinely, to love him truly, to honour him rightly, to seek his forgiveness and to enjoy his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please give us clarity, not just to understand your son rightly, but Father, ourselves in our own hearts. Please help us to never play games, not with you and not with your people, uh, but instead, Father, to love you truly, to seek your honour. Father, please help us to be humble before you, truly as our great God and King. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.